Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, I want to read the Ten Commandments one more time, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Verse 7, jump down to there. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall do no work, because God blessed it. In verse 11. And now verse 12, jump down to there. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Verse 13, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And the last commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor covet your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. If you've been with us for the past two weeks, uh, we've gone over the introduction of what the commandments are, and last week I touched on the first four commandments, your relationship with God. The first four have to do with your relationship with God. Again, no other gods before me, not make for yourself an idol, don't misuse the name of the Lord, and remember the Sabbath day. All about God. These last six are going to be a relationship series basically on each other. How God wants us to handle and communicate and live life with each other. So God makes it clear, i got a relationship with you all, now I want you to have a good relationship with everybody else. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to go two by two. So the first two we're going to look at is our relationship with others. Number five, if you look in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, this is the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. And the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. So the translations are up here, I get a basic summary of what I made. We are to respect, obey, and honor the authority of our parents or guardians and the position God's given them. And then the, the sixth commandment, we are to respect and protect human life, images, and image bearers of God. So let's look at the first one, number five. We are to respect, obey, and honor the authority of our parents and guardians that God has entrusted with us. Write these things down. For obey, I want you to write down Ephesians 6, verse 2. For respect, I want you to write down Leviticus 19.3. And for honor, Exodus 20.12, what we're in right now. You don't have to turn there. I want to read them to you real quick. Obey, Ephesians 6.2. Paul would write this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Obeying our parents comes with the promise attached to it, that you may have a long life faithful, blessed life. It may not be longevity where you live to be 120 years old. I don't know how many of us want to really want to do that. You're not going to be able to do anything, but that would be cool to live to like 120. God ne doesn't necessarily mean about age. He also can mean about a blessed, fruitful life, that your life will be blessed in all that you do because you respected, honored, and obeyed your parents. The only exception is if your parents or guardians go against something that's not biblical and tell you to do this or that, there may be a problem there where you need to come to either a pastor, myself, someone that you trust and say, hey, look, my parents kind of told me to do this or that and it's not aligned with Scripture. You know, what do I do? That's a rare exception, though. 
Otherwise, what your parents tell you to do or don't do, how they guide you, direct you, instruct you, respect that, honor that, obey that. They're human too. They're not perfect. Amen, they're not perfect, yes? I know some of you are gonna raise your hands. Amen, my parents are not perfect, okay? We're not perfect either. No parent is perfect. They're trying to learn everything too. They were once your age as well. Really? That's weird. They were. Your parents were once your age, living a life that they're trying to figure out as well. So God has entrusted them and given that position over you. None of you picked your parents. I know, it's kind of sad. I wish we could. Sometimes. That'd be awesome. You could pick your own parents. Hey, I like them. God doesn't do it that way. You were, you were given into where you were given. You didn't get to pick your parents. God positioned them in that authority, whether it's a parent or a guardian, whether you live in a single parent home or, or not, whether your grandparents are watching you, whatever. Whoever is in charge of you under, in that household is your parent or guardian that God has given over. And some of you, I hope not, may not have a good relationship with your parents. I pray to God that, that God would restore those relationships. Some of you may not like your mom or dad. It doesn't matter whether you like them or not. What matters is you respect them. You honor them. You obey them. I'm not saying you have to try to like them, but I hope you do. I hope everyone has a good relationship with their parents. But if there's not, if there's some restoration that needs to happen, I pray that God does that. God gives you the grace. God gives your parents the grace to restore relationships. But all that aside, we need to respect the authority and position that they're in. God's given them for a reason for us. Leviticus 19.3, about the respect part, each of us must respect our mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. God says this. This is not me saying this. This is God. We are to respect our mother and father, our guardian that's over us. And come talk to me afterwards. If, if there's an issue at home or you just can't you know, have a good relationship with your parents, I want to pray for you. I hope you do. But again, God says, he doesn't say obey your parents or you need to respect them. All that is summed up in this word honor. That's why he says here in verse 12, honor your father and mother. He doesn't say obey your parents because they're always right. No, they're not always right. They're going to make mistakes too. He doesn't say that. Now obey and respect are part of all that. They, go, they co-inhabit, but basically what God is saying, he chooses the word honor, which has a deeper meaning. You honor and respect the authority that they're in. So let's do that together with, your, with our parents. Number six, respect and protect human life. Image bearers of God. This is the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. I want to give some explanations, though, and exceptions, though. Killing and murder are not the same thing. I want to make that clear. Killing and murder are not the same thing. There are some exceptions. And God gives us those clear exceptions. Exodus 22, verse 2, says this. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck down so that it, he dies, the defender of the home is not guilty of bloodshed. Translation, if a, if a thief or someone wants to harm my family and come into my house, you better believe that I'm not going to let them do anything and just sit back and be like, well, I can't murder, so have at it, thief. I'm not going to do that. How stupid would that be? I'm going to knock them dead. I want to beat them up, all right? You are not coming to my house messing with my family, all right? This is America. All right, amen? You're not coming in my house, all right? If someone did come in my house and was like, hey, that would be a little creepy, though. I'd, I'd beat them up even more, all right? So, unless it's my wife, okay? It's not going to happen. Sometimes I get scared. Like, we'll scare each other. Like, I'll come up the steps maybe late at night, and, and she's like, ah! and I'm like, it's just me. Sometimes she'll come up later, and I'm like, who are oh, It's just you, okay. We just scare each other. It's like, all right. 
God bless. It's like, I hope no one ever comes into each other's homes. But when that happens, God says, look, the defender of the house has the right and the obligation to not let his family be harmed. Defend the house. God also says capital punishment is okay, and we have that in our laws. Genesis 9, verse 6, says that those that take the bloodshed of another, they also will have their bloodshed be taken from them. Basically, a life for a life. So when someone who murders somebody, ill intent, no reason for, it all begins with anger and hatred, and if they do that, they will be tried and convicted and whatnot, and we have laws for that. But for someone to just ill-intently and, and want to harm somebody for really no reason, or maybe the reason's not that justifiable and they just want harm to come to them, then that's where it's wrong. Here's this thing, too. I know all of us are guilty of this. Some of us may be angry and want harm to come to somebody because we just can't stand that person. Any of us have ever said, I just hope they fall off a cliff, all right? I just want them gone. Now, you're, you're saying, like, uh, someone raised their hand. That was me. <laughs> Sorry, sinner. But uh, no, we've all thought that, all right? Now, you can say, well, I don't want to harm them. I just want harm to come to them, okay? That's the same thing. You want harm to come to them. You want them gone, and some, that's, that's, that's wrong. You don't have to turn here, but Matthew chapter 5. This is where I want to hone in, because I hope none of us have killed or murdered anybody. I hope not, all right? But, shh, but I know we all have had some anger and hatred in our minds and our hearts for someone to be harmed. Because Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, 21. Write this down. Jesus goes deeper into the heart. He says this, You've heard that it was said to people long ago. He's talking about this time, Ten Commandments. Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus flips the gears. He says, I'm going to tell you this. I tell you that anyone who is angry with someone angry with someone, they'll also be subject to judgment. And for those that say raka, he says raka, it's, it's Hebrew for basically our translation, idiot, or you fool, will also be guilty of the fires of hell. Jesus is serious about this. Because the Pharisees would say this, hey Jesus, well I'm good, I've never murdered anybody, I'm good. Yeah, but did you ever think ill intent to harm somebody in your heart and you were angry at them? Oh, well, yeah. Jesus says it's the same thing. It's murder, spiritually. This is not a funny joke. God takes this seriously. I don't want to show of hands, but how many of us, we know deep down in our hearts, we've had ill intent and anger towards somebody where we wanted harm to come to them. It's our human nature. God says, you've murdered them in your heart. God also says in 1 John 3.15 in His Word through the Holy Spirit, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. God takes this very seriously. It doesn't, ha it doesn't matter about the physical part. If you hate them in your mind or heart, God takes that seriously. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. And He says if you have ill intent for somebody in your heart, you've already committed that murder and murderers have no eternal life in heaven. He says, get right with that brother or sister. Or get right with the Lord, that the Lord would change your heart and actions to wanting ill intent to that person. So that is the fifth and sixth commandment. God takes it seriously. Number seven and eight, 
The other commandments are God calls for moral purity before marriage and fidelity in marriage. Commandment number seven is you shall not commit adultery. And then commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Translation, you are to be good stewards of what God has given you. I want to talk about number seven real quick. Do not commit adultery. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter five, he's still talking about, you know, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about, hey, I know some of you haven't murdered anybody and you heard as long ago, don't murder, but if you've had anger in your heart, you're still a murderer. Hey, I know no one's really committed adultery maybe in here, but if you've lust, lusted after somebody in your heart, you've committed adultery with them spiritually. So what he says in Matthew chapter 5 and 27, verse 27 and 28, is eye-opening. He goes deeper into the heart. He says, you've heard it was said long ago, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God goes to the heart issue. He says, I see the law, I see the standard, but God raises the bar now. He sets the standard. He says, any of us who have lustful heart, a lustful heart and desires for somebody else is wrong. So that's why I've translated this, because most of you, actually all of you, are not married. So learn this lesson. God calls for moral purity before, all caps, marriage. I want to, re I want to be very clear. Please read my lips from the pages of God's Word. Any sexual immorality, anything sexual outside marriage between a husband and a wife is sexual sin. Amen? Oh, that was weak. <laughs> Any sexual immorality or anything outside marriage between a husband and a wife is sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. That was a little better. Still a little shaky, though. God calls for moral purity before marriage. Premarital sex, sex outside of marriage is sin. God takes it very seriously. Because here's what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexual immoral. God takes it into account. Why does God hate adultery so much? Because he does. He hates divorce. Why does he make it clear in here? I'm going to give you two reasons. God hates adultery because of this. Number one, it goes against his original design Number two, it destroys marriages and families. Now this is coming from me, who had faithful parents, still have faithful parents. Never once did they ever consider divorce. And I've been blessed with great parents. But I will tell you, I also have family members that are not immediate, but grandparents, aunts and uncles, who have committed this sin. Don't think for a second that it doesn't faze me. I've had to learn a long time, at a young age, why are grandma and grandpa not always together? And later my dad would tell me, here's what happened. It still hurts. It goes deep. Aunts and uncles too. Who some have repented, some have not. I don't want for a second them to experience hell. God will judge them if they don't get right with him. And I know a lot of you, if not all of you, have maybe a friend or family member you know that have messed up in the commandment number seven. A lot of you come from broken homes, maybe divorced families, divorced parents. God does forgive. Know that. God is a loving, forgiving God. But if there is no repentance and no requesting of forgiveness, God has to judge this sin. This affects a lot of us. Adultery destroys families, destroys marriages, because, because God created sex in an intimate way 
between a husband and a wife to reflect him and his church. God created it that way, and when it's distorted and taken out of context, it not only breaks the person, their heart, it breaks God's heart. It affects me. I've had to forgive in my heart my aunts and uncles, my grandparents. I've had weeping times with my, my nana, who, you know, has been so hurt by this. And this was years ago. Because my dad, my dad's parents are divorced. And my dad, at 13 years old, had to experience that. 13. So don't think it doesn't hit home. It does. I mean, I wept when my dad told me, like, really what happened. Because I didn't know. He was keeping it kind of in the family, just between him and my mom. But it, it breaks my heart. This number seven, is, it hits home probably the most. Because I know that God hates divorce. Don't ever think that you're the fault of your parents' divorce or what sin they've committed. That's why I want you guys to learn right now. Be moral before marriage, because if you're not, it could come into marriage. Don't let the devil get a foothold. You stand up for moral purity. Your schools are not gonna say safe sex what safe sex is, okay? They're just not. They're gonna tell you safe sex, but they're, they're, not, they're gonna almost encourage it and be safe, but it's not safe sex. Being abstinent in safe sex is being morally pure before marriage. Maybe some of you have fallen into this sin. God forgives. Repent of it, though. Turn from it, and God will wipe you clean. That's why God makes it so important for us today of why he hates it. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, that God has called us to live holy lives, not in sin. God calls us to live holy lives and maybe if your parents or a family member have messed up in commandment number seven, pray for them. Forgive them. We all need forgiveness. And God does just that. God always forgives when we repent and turn because he's gracious. Amen? Amen. Number eight, as we keep moving, we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. Number eight is you shall not steal. You shall not steal. I want to give a little humor because this, is, this has been pretty heavy for the Ten Commandments, but a little humor real quick. A pop quiz. Now don't ask, don't answer this. I want to read it real quick. What do Ebenezer Scrooge, Homer Simpson, Al Capone, and T.S. Eliot all have in common? Okay, do you guys know those characters? Ebenezer Scrooge, Homer Simpson, T.S. Eliot, Al Capone. All right. Uh, they all committed theft. Here's what they did. It was not blatant pickpocket Ocean's Eleven style theft, but theft nevertheless. Ebenezer Scrooge is remembered as Dickens' famous character who did not pay his clerk, Bob Cratchit, a fair wage. As part of his journey with the ghost of Christmas future, Scrooge sees his, that Bob's son, Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim, has died because Scrooge didn't pay Bob enough money to care for him. In other words, Scrooge stole work from Bob. Homer Simpson is famous for, among other things, his laziness. In one episode, he wears glasses with eyes painted on the lenses so that his boss, Mr. Burns, won't see him sleeping. In other words, 
Homer is stealing time from his boss. Here's Al Capone. Al Capone, in spite of being so famous for his many crimes, was never ever, uh, was only ever convicted at one. Did you know that? At one, tax evasion. It landed him in jail for several years. And finally, T.S. Eliot, a renowned poet whose poem, The Wasteland, gets at least mentioned in almost all high schools, yet it turns out much of it was probably stolen from the poem, Wasteland, a work by a little-known poet named Madison Cayoon. Did you know that? Here's, here's what the summary is. What's the point behind mentioning these four figures? It's to show that stealing isn't always the black and white taken from someone kind. We are thieves if we don't pay people their due wage, respect, or honor. When we don't give 100% on the job, in school, or at practice, when we evade taxes, no matter what rationalization we use, and when we copy other people's work. Hmm. Even if we think doing so is a form of flattery. Let me tell you right now, someone like that. <laughs> okay, we'll be praying for you. Theft is not so much about taking an object as it is the state of our hearts. That's what it's about. Theft is not uh, so much about taking an object as it is the state of our hearts. And if our hearts don't give what they should to God and other people, as much as if they uh, take things from others, we are all guilty of theft. So I'm not asking if you've actually stolen a candy bar when you were five years old. We all can steal things in different ways, shapes, and sizes. And God says we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. The Bible says and makes it clear everything in the world and the universe is God's. He gives us as stewards to take care of it. Did you know that? God can give. God can also take away. We are stewards of it. Let me read you some verses real quick. You all right in the front? Read you some verses real quick. Ephesians 4.28. Write this down. Ephesians 4.28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. God takes stealing seriously, but it's not just possessions. You can steal time. You can steal a lot of things and not have it just be possessions, and God sees it as a form of stealing. We can steal some time from someone from being late always. If someone always picks you up and we're always late to them, we're stealing their time. We can also steal answers on a test. It's called cheating. No, it's just borrowing. No, it's cheating. Okay? <laughs> Oh, and speaking of borrowing, borrowing something you promise to return but never do is stealing, all right? I promise I'll give you this back. Let me just borrow it. And you never do, all right? It's called stealing and theft. Shh. So let me make this clear. God makes it clear. They were not to steal. So again, don't say, don't say well, I've never actually stolen anything physically. Where's your heart, though? It's about the heart. We can steal a lot of things and not have them just be possessions. And I want to close with these last two, all right? Last two. Look at verse 16 of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In the 10th commandment, in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So translation for these, commandment number nine, lying, slander, and gossip is forbidden. God calls us to be truthful. Number 10, God calls us to be content with what he's given us. So it's not just about lying, false testimony. It's also a form of gossip and slander that God says is wrong. Did you know gossip is a sin? Let me read you these verses real quick. Write these down. You don't have to turn there, but read these. Four Proverbs. Solomon had a lot to talk about with gossip and lying. He was the wisest man to ever live. And in Proverbs 11.13, write this down, Proverbs 11.13, 
Proverbs 16.28, Proverbs 19.5, and Proverbs 20.19. Read them again. Proverbs 11.13, Let me just read them to you real quick. 11.13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. A false witness will not go unpunished. He who pours out lies will not go free. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a person who talks too much. I like that one. <laughs> what the Bible is saying is this. It's not just about lying. We can gossip and talk about someone behind their back and it's just as worse. Now, I've been a victim of gossip, all right? I've, uh, back in high school, you know, you would hear about like, hey, what are they saying about me? Like, I just heard, you know, rumors about me or whatever, whether they're true or not. It's gossip. I've also had the sin of gossiping about somebody else. I say we all can concur and say that we're guilty of that also. Have you ever slandered someone's name, talked bad about them behind someone's back? It's a form of lying and giving false witness, false testimony. God says, Enough's enough. Also for this, you can actually lie about your relationship with Jesus. Did you know that? 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Whoever says, I know him, meaning Jesus. I know Jesus. I know the Bible. I know church. I know him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And he says here, and the truth is not in him. You can even lie about your relationship with Jesus, and I hope we're not doing that. Please do not claim on social media or wherever you go, I'm a Christian, but you don't live it, you're a liar. You don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. It's best that you just say, no, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, actually, but I'd like to maybe, or I don't really, I'm not ready. I'd actually like to talk to that person more than actually talk to somebody and say, I know Jesus, I know all that, but then I see their lifestyle through their social media, through whatever. Oh, that doesn't add up. What are you doing? God is holding us to account. Lying, slander, gossip is forbidden. God calls us to be truthful. Amen? Amen. And that's a hard thing to do. This number nine commandment is a hard thing to do. Because we're all human nature. We all want to talk about the latest things. We want to talk about somebody. Oh, did you hear what they did last week? Hey, did you know what they did? Did you know what happened? Guess what? I heard this. Why well, I heard this. I actually heard this. Just hearsay. We need to stop doing that. And I will say, from a personal note, as a youth pastor, I have seen it and have heard about it from some of you in my five years of ministry, and even currently right now, that gossip is still going on. I'm telling you right now, stop it. Stop it. I actually have had people come to me here in the youth group, say, people are talking about me. I haven't done anything. People are saying stuff. I don't know what's going on. I thought this was a church. You're right, it is a church. It should not be happening, especially inside the church. So I'm telling you, as a parent youth pastor, with my finger pointed out, stop the gossip. Can we do that? We need to have unity, not disunity. Gossip, what the Bible says, betrays confidence. It will separate close friends. It does. Avoid a person who talks too much. Hey, I don't want to talk about this, Please stop talking to me about this person. You are gossiping. Enough's enough. Stand up. Stand up for that other person, whether it's true or not. Maybe go find out from that person they're talking about. 
You can do that, you know. Talk to that other person rather than talking to somebody else where you have no business of talking about their business. All right? I'm getting fired up on this one. Let's enough, let's stop it with the lying, slandering gossip. I don't want to hear about someone lying and slandering and gossiping about someone in here. And if I do, if I find out, you will be talking to me. And it's not going to be pretty. Number 10, God calls us to be content with what he's given us. Let's finish the Ten Commandments on a great note, covetousness, all right? We all fall petty to this. God calls us to be content with what he's given us. What does covetousness mean? What does covet mean? Write this definition down. It's a desire to enviously, desire enviously that which belongs to another. You desire enviously that which belongs to another. That's covet. Think of covetousness as this. Think of covetousness as a tree, a blooming tree with leaves all over, apples, oranges, whatever. Pick your favorite fruit tree. Here's a tree, and here are the five roots that support this tree of covetousness. You can write these down. Envy, jealousy, greed, lust, discontentment. Those five roots dig deep of the big tree of covetousness. Oh, that person has that. I don't have that. I need that. Oh, do you see what they have? I, I want that, actually. They actually deserve it more than they do. And living in the 21st century right now in our culture, that's what they'll tell you. Hey, they have it. You also need to have it. Hey, look at that. You need to go after that, desire after that, because they have it also. It's going to throw at you all this time. They're never going to say, hey, just be content with what you have, all right? That's what God says. But we don't like what God says. I cannot be content with what I have. Do you know we live in the most privileged and blessed nation on the planet, and yet we're still discontent? I, use, I love using mission group, missionary um, analogies, and when I've been on mission trips for, I've been on several, one was Ethiopia, changed my life. Changed my life the way I saw things. In Ethiopia, the villagers, when we go to house to house, were basically not houses, they were huts, and they had nothing, literally nothing. Yet they were the most joyous, happy, lovable, courageous, content people you'll ever meet. And it's eye-opening. It's like, you have nothing. I don't understand it. It's because we have so much stuff now, we're not content with anything anymore. We've got to get that latest iPhone all the time. We're not content with anything. We've got to get the latest technology, whatever. These people have nothing, though, and yet they're content forever. Why? It's because Jesus is their joy. Are you content with Jesus? Is he enough for you? If you're looking everywhere else because of envy, jealousy, greed, lust, discontentment, it means you're probably not in a right relationship with Jesus. He needs to be enough. Not what anybody else has. So God calls us to be content with what he's given us. God has given it to us. Let's be good stewards of it and be content. Because then when we're content in Jesus, God will bless us with everything else. Sometimes God says, you don't need that right now. We think we need this or that. The Bible even says, don't even covet after your neighbor's house, his family, his land, his money. We don't need to covet after other people what they have. Hey, they have that. They have a pool. Why don't we have a pool, mom and dad? Commandment number five, honor your parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't do this. That's why you need a savior. That's why you have Jesus, all right? We can't do all this. Be content with what God's given you. Amen? Let's pray. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.